Welcome to the Shields Outdoors podcast, your source for information on hunting, fishing, and all of your outdoor passions. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Shields Outdoors podcast. In this segment, we're going to be going to night one of the Spring Shields Virtual Hunt Series. We're going to have Mike Pentecost and Scott Ellis talking all things turkey hunting. What's really cool about these hunt series is that they're live virtual sessions where you have the ability to go to the chat window and ask questions, and these athletes are going to answer them in real time. And what's really cool about this one is we've done a bonus episode too because we've seen so many questions coming in that we weren't able to fit it all into our one-hour segment. So we took all those questions left over, tossed it into a bonus episode. You're going to see that one coming up next too. So here is our night one segment of the Spring Virtual Hunt Series with Mike Pentecost and Scott Ellis. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the first night of the Shields Spring Virtual Hunt Series. First of all, I'd like to thank everyone for tuning in to this live virtual format. And if you look in the side of your viewing screen, you're going to see a question bar where you can submit your questions, and the athletes tonight will answer those for you. My name is Mike Anderson, and I work for Shields Social Media on Shields Outdoors, Facebook, and Instagram. And I also host a portion of our podcast we have, which uh, which would, this will be a part of later. So let me introduce you to our host of tonight's segment, who's quite the turkey guru himself, Mr. Ben Fleischecker. Thank you, Mike. Welcome, everybody. Excited to be here. Um, you know, there's a couple of things that I think about in the springtime, and, and turkey's one of them, walleyes and morel mushrooms, right? So they kind of all go hand in hand. And uh, I know the turkeys are getting fired up down south, then fired up. You know, they're Mike, or excuse me, Scott's going to kind of talk about what he's going through right now down there in Florida. But I'm already seeing pictures of morel mushrooms being picked. The water, the ice is coming off the water up here, way up north. And so we're excited to get going on the springtime. Uh, tonight we got Scott Ellis and uh, Mike Pentecost. Um, for those of you that are brand new to the world of turkey hunting, I'll tell you what, we got some heavy, heavy hitters this evening, uh, along with later on this week. So we're excited you guys tune in as well for that. Uh, make sure you guys are getting registered for, for the prize package. We got some incredible gifts that are going to be a part of that. We've got Brownie shotgun. We got decoys. We got some camo. We got all sorts of fun stuff. Mike, is, uh, Mike who's also the, the owner of Woodhaven Calls, we're going to bring up here pretty quick. He also threw in some calls, so it's going to be pretty awesome. And not to mention, we got Scott Ellis on here who, uh, you know, if you just search how to call a diaphragm call on YouTube, you're going to see his face a lot. Uh, I unfortunately have to admit that on my cell phone, if you open the web browser, I've got Scott up there a few different times on how to, on how to use the diaphragm call. He is absolutely amazing. Super excited to have everybody here tonight. So without further ado, uh, Mike, if you don't mind, go ahead and introduce yourself and kind of give us a little bit of background. What got you into turkey hunting? What got you into call manufacturing? Uh, designing, testing, all that. I mean, you know, you've been at this game for quite a, quite a few years. So, quite a while. Uh, yeah, I just, just uh, I'm Mike Pentecost. I'm from Heflin, Alabama. Uh, got a turkey call company, you know, Woodhaven Custom Calls. And uh, just being in the woods, it was truly a passion. Uh, and if you're not really driven, 
I mean, when you are driven, you, you, you know it. And, uh, I just, um, it became, it was a hobby that became a business. I had, I had been doing, uh, turkey calls for since the late eighties. And then, um, as I developed and got a little better and came up through and then got about 99, I said, look, I got to try to make a business out of this and, and see if it will work. And I was just driven to have high integrity and high class and uh, very uh, good calls and really just didn't, my philosophy was kind of first class or no class. So I wanted to be the best there was and uh, try to achieve that. And I hope that my uh, hard work, my heart and my mind, uh, you know, I've somebody once told me that a man's character soon becomes a company's policy. And I hope that uh, I've got a strong character and, and high integrity to do the right thing when nobody's looking. And that's always build a good call, put a good call in a package and deliver it to the people. So been very blessed and very thankful. Lord's been good to us and uh, hard work and determination and uh, honored to be here tonight. We appreciate all the people out there that support us, buy our calls and support our outlets and like Shields. And uh, we're honored to be here tonight. Very good. Appreciate that, Mike. Mr. Scott Ellis, um, multiple, multiple time champion caller. I know you don't like to, to self edify yourself, which we appreciate the humbleness. I mean, that's one thing that Shields is very proud about too. And that's why we part with great companies and great partners like yourself. So, uh, if you don't mind kind of, I mean the same, same four one one, I mean, give us a little bit of background, your background and as well as the hunting industry. Absolutely. Super excited to be here. Thanks for having me, guys. Um, I'm actually been guiding now here in Central Florida for the last season started. What is today? What is today? What, Tuesday. So it'd be like 10, 10 days I've been guiding, having pretty high level of success. All the clients, all my clients have killed. I'm on the last day tomorrow with one of my clients and uh, the birds are getting tough. They're getting hinned up. We'll go into that a little bit later, probably in the show. But um, mm -hmm. won a lot of calling titles and I think... At the end of the day, what I tried to do with my experience in, in taking calling to another level was helping people and helping the hunter. And as you mentioned earlier, I have my YouTube channel that has tons of calling tips on it. I've got an app called Turkey Tech. I've got two DVDs called Mouth Automatic 1 and 2, and these are instructionals that have helped the average hunter take their calling to another level. So at the end of the day, I just enjoyed helping hunters and helping people learn to talk to turkeys more effectively and more realistic. And I think at the end of the day, if I remember for anything, I hope it's that, that Ellis helped a lot of people learn how to kill a lot of turkeys by learning the language and learning how to produce better sounds, especially with a mouth call. I do friction stuff too, but mainly with a mouth call. And um, I'm glad to be here and, and looking forward to talking turkey and filling some questions with you guys. Awesome. Well, we're definitely excited. we got some questions rolling in already, but, you know, how about we go ahead and kind of give it like a baseline going right now. So we've got multiple different types of turkey calls out there on the market. Uh, brand X, brand Y, Woodhaven, whoever it might be. However, what are the main couple calls that you're going to see a lot of new users that want to use? And then, you know, what's what's something that's more maybe more advanced? You know, I don't know if it's a, a cut on the diaphragm call or if it's a specific type of call. But uh, if you guys don't mind, I mean, kind of go through, you know, what's what's the, the best call for a beginner to go through? And, you know, we don't have to demonstrate yet. I know we're going to get to those questions here. I mean, like I said, they're already pouring in right now. But uh, kind of give us a high level of what the different – calls out there are if you don't mind uh you know i'll i'll tell you i, I think the box calls the most simple 
call to be very effective. I mean, advanced hunters kill turkeys with box calls. Uh, we make a call here called the real hen, and it's, you know, it's one of the most devastating. I mean, it just sounds like a turkey. And that's what we try to do is make turkey calls that makes it easy to sound like a turkey. Not, you know, I, I consider that we build turkey calling instruments, something that's musical grade. And because we're trying to make sounds, pitches, and, and, you know, we've developed that technique to build this certain call. And then we are very consistent in the way we uh, produce them and build them and then tune them, hand tune them, and build a box call. Uh, box call is the most simple call. Uh, to start with and anything and then the only other thing that you said uh, about uh, the other friction type call uh, is multiple types of slate calls or pot calls and that uh, that learning those are two box calls pot calls and I'll let Scott address what he thinks about the mouth you know the most simple or you know mouth call yeah I agree 100% Mike box call the, the easiest most realistic way to produce real in talk with minimal effort and, and very low level skill set. <laughs> you just, if you can do this, you can run a box call and do this. So from there, I think it would probably go to a pot call, the next level of, of difficulty. And then after that mouth calls, now you can slide in trumpets and you can slide in tube calls and wing bones. There's, that's a whole nother style of device that I don't know if we'll cover, but just the basics that the average hunter is going to use is going to be a box call, then a pot call, then a mouth call. And a lot of people go into the, there's a big misconception. Oh, you need a single reed or a double reed with no cuts in it to make the best turkey sounds. And I've always disagreed wholeheartedly on that because a single reed or a double reed with no cuts is harder to create a, a cut note. It's harder to create a good two-note yelp because it takes more control and more skill set. You put a decent raspy call, a three-reeded lighter latex raspy call in somebody's mouth, a ghost cut, a yellow venom, a, uh, a hyper hammer, a ninja hammer, those type calls that will create a front end, a little bit of sweet front end, and then they'll drop into rasp really easy. If you run those straight reeded calls, mm -hmm. if you can learn them and master them, you can transition very quickly and easily. But I'm saying most people will never do that, so they're going to start off, just start off with a raspy call, like a, a red wasp again, or a, a, a new energy, something like that. And then uh, look up our instructionals. There's a lot there on the net. There's I've got a lot of tools out there to help to teach the basics on how to just get the sounds and then start re recreating turkey talk and turkey sounds. I will say there too what Scott's talking about too, and with the calls he's mentioned, and, and I, I just referred to the mouth call part to him, but like he reiterating box call, pot call, mouth calls, and any the most simple, most direct mouth call to use is a V cut. So and he's named V cut calls. Some of them are deep, some in, in different. Th mm -hmm. How many reads, thicknesses, and all kind of variations, wow. but a, a V cut mouth call. All day long, easy, simple, go-to, raspy. Yes, sir, which is great because the great calls, and you guys sell them, we sell them, so we're excited on that one too, but I appreciate that. So let's go ahead and jump in with some questions here. And uh, for all the audience out there, make sure you guys are getting on to shields.com backslaps virtual hunt series. Make sure you guys are getting registered for the other price packages that are coming up later this week as well as this evening. But So first question here, guys. Um, We've got a question coming in that's got youth opener coming up on this Saturday. Uh, I'm not sure which state this would be, but it says we're not still proficient with calling yet, but is it better to sit quietly and let it unfold or try our best at calling and see what happens? And I know this one's kind of a multifacet because uh, decoys go into it, your birds go into it, your location goes into it, preseason scouting goes into it. I mean, there's so many different things, but, you know, I'm sure you guys have heard this question a handful of times as well, but what what is that? I mean, is 
no sound better than a fairly to mid executed sound. Scott, you get looks like you got some. I I say goodbye. Box call. Spend five minutes on YouTube. Learn to cluck and yelp. A baby can do. A five year old can do it, and you can kill a turkey with it. No sound to me is not going to be any is not going to be the uh, the deal breaker. It's going to be sitting there deer hunting a turkey or or just putting decoys out and hoping they walk in the decoys. So from I'll keep it short and sweet. Go buy a box call. Learn learn clucking and yelping and maybe even some cutting, and go kill a turkey. It's not that hard. Pick up the rhythm. You stroke your hand across the the, the board. The sound the sound the lid across the soundboard. Sorry, and make a yelp. I mean you can kill turkeys. The yelp kills more turkeys than any sound that, that we make in my opinion consistently mike go ahead yeah i mean my my philosophy has always been cluck and kill him if you can cluck and kill him be the best clucker you can be make a good something that's realistic and i mean you know uh but but to sit and not enjoy what we do and that's part of engaging with the turkey and being in the uh the language and talking and using the calls that's what's fun i mean i i'm 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 going to use the call i would encourage them to use the call because you want everybody wants to kill a turkey, but it's fun to call them too. I, only way you're going to learn is try. I, I'm 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 yep. going to be in, in, encouraging to engage and have fun. Agreed. Yep. Yeah. All right. So the the questions are coming in for sure on demonstrating on the different types of calls. And so I know we talked right before we went live here, Scott. You're going to run the uh, diaphragm, the mouth calls, and Mr. Mike, you're going to be doing the pot calls and the uh, Box the uh, box call, sorry. And so, before we get into that, um, there's so many variations of this. I mean, it's to me, it's probably the most unique when it comes to any type of calling. You know, you look at elk, you look at deer, you look at waterfowl. You know, it's very basic. You know, there's a handful, three or four different styles, right? I mean, maybe some different pitches, maybe some different designs. But when you start looking at the turkey side of the world, I mean, you got a box call, but you got multiple different sizes of box calls. You got multiple different types of wood with box calls. You got different types of chalk, whether it's waterproof or not waterproof. And then when you go to a slate call or excuse me, a pot call, you got 20 different variations from the type of wood to the type of material used to the striker to the diaphragm call. I mean, it's, it's endless out there and so easy for, I think for, for a lot of beginners as, as well as myself, who, you know, I've been tur chasing turkey since 99, you know, it's not forever ago, however, but you know, I feel very confident when it comes to killing turkeys, but, I mean, there's so many different things out there. So what, let's kind of go through a little bit of high level. You know, the Mike, I mean, this might be easiest for you since, you know, you get to see what you sell the most of, but you know, what is the top selling pot call? You know, is it a slate or, or is it a yeah, glass or is it a crystal? And crystal then go with the call. Cherry classic crystal is, has been our number one, um, uh, selling call. Uh, uh, started doing them in uh, early 2000s 2002 or three there kind of went to most calls that were out there were made of uh, walnut and i started a new process using cherry and quarter sewn cherry on the inside and in a, a a crystal surface it was i it was just really being explored into but it it, it has really explode exploded um i don't have one of them right here at my hands i, I just went over to a, a desk over here and picked up a call a pot call this one happens to be a, a carbon crystal but uh, these are the pot calls right here i mean basically it's a, um wood and in anything or you know like i said glass slate but the our number one's crystal, and this is a crystal surface. And then basically, you take a striker and uh, we scuff it up. We have it already tuned, 
but you um, you know where we have it tuned that's where you would clean it keep it that way back and forth either with a stone or with sandpaper this is a striker uh, you want to keep the tip of the striker clean uh, not touching it with your hands, not rubbing it on your body or anything, and on the, getting the oil in, but you want to just take it and put it. Uh, so this simple clux is just. I mean, I'd kill a turkey. And then the plain yelp is just. And you might pick that speed up a little bit as far as cadence. You just want to sound like a turkey cluck and soft yelp. But, I mean, the, the cadence really needs to be. Because it doesn't matter what call you're running, whether it's on Scott doing his mouth calls or anything else. Um, the, the hen turkey's got a definite start and stop. And it's more, it's, it's sharp. I mean, it's got, uh, we call it. And I try to talk to people about calling all the time, and it seems like we're bubble gummy. You know, we got gawk, 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 and uh, or either you got your box calling, and, and it's not that way. Here's, here's one. Here's that. Here's the real hen box calling. It's you know, it's a. Uh, it's hard to get all these angles here, but I mean, it's, I mean, it's supposed to be crisp and sharp. Have a good front end, rasp down to sharp ending you don't want to be that you want to see sharp and as realistic as you can i mean scott scott's gonna go over the front end of a mouth call obviously and how it but it's real easy to be the more realistic you are obviously the better it sounds and you're going up your chances to be successful get the calls that you can that you feel comfortable with get proficient with them and then sound like a real turkey sound like a real turkey sound like a real turkey so ben what am i doing <laughs> so oh, even with that I'm diaphragm i giving a i mean i don't want to go into breaking down how to run a mouth call we don't what, what am i what do we want to do here so the biggest thing is and there's so many different options out there scott what's what's good for a beginner i mean we kind of touched on that a little bit a little bit ago and then even okay. just some basic calls you so, know we, we discussed the three read. I, I, I am an advocate of using cuts, not straight readed stuff. This is a yellow venom. It's one of my designs with Woodhaven. Um, it's an offset, original, unique design. It's not anything. There's nothing like it on the market. I offset a V and clipped a wing off and cut a little, dot, a little isosceles triangle out of it. But at the end of the day, it's really easy to get a nice front end. has a good raspy nasally. I love the, I love the two words, throaty and nasally. And that's two of the words that I love to hear in a box call and a pot call and a, and a good mouth call. And, um, you know, I mean, I'll run some clucking in the open. I mean, learn the basics right off the bat. Go to YouTube, check out my stuff. I, you know, I don't want I'm not plugging anything here, but you, you got to have some some uh, system of instruction to learn what to do with it. But this is a yellow bin. I might do some, some cutting, clucking, yelping.
And there you go. There, there's just some basic stuff on a mouth call. There you go. <laughs> That's the yellow venom. Good. So after you use your diaphragm call, Scott, what do you? How do you condition it? Keep it so you can use it again for the next time. I mean, do you have to do any cleaning? Um, I like to. I don't have them with me. Um, these aren't picked, but I take a cocktail toothpick, the little plastic cocktail toothpicks, and snap the end of it off, and then I slide it between the top reed and the second reed. Then I put them in the fridge. That's that's the basic way. Dark, damp, um, or not damp, but dark and cool. Uh, prolongs the life of the latex, um, and the toothpick allows you to take the call with the toothpick in when you get to the turkey woods, and you put a little saliva in between the top reed and the toothpick. You wiggle that reed around, you break loose the top reed from the second reed, you slide the toothpick out, and then you're going to work without having to beat and fram on it while you're driving to the turkey woods in the morning. So yeah. it's, it's it's a little extra step mm -hmm. that people will take, or will, will not often take, but it makes it a lot easier to get in the woods and have that call ready and set, and then you can start making your sounds with it. Um, I think one thing, too, there, we uh, talk to a lot of people. That's a big question people ask about how do I take care of the calls after, I, after I'm using them. And Scott's thing about the tooth, little toothpick, cocktail toothpicks, the top read is what you're trying to keep separated. We always suggest and encourage, and I personally uh, wash the saliva off of the calls as much as I can. If I'm in a clean creek or if I've got bottled water with me during the day, even I'm trying to keep the call as clean as I can. I, I just think that prolongs the life of them and it, it prolongs the sound of the call during the day. Helps tighten the reeds up with cool water or something too if you're having it in your mouth and they kind of get loose and kind of stretchy. But I like to get to suggest you get the saliva off the calls and maybe run it under tap water, you know, upside and, you know, just warm water till everything breaks loose and gets clean and then turn it to cold water and get those toothpicks down in like Scott's talking about thump the excess water off and then put it in the refrigerator and it does wonders for protecting a call making it sound have a lot of life and a long life a longevity longevity too and, and just a caveat to that is dry latex is your friend saturated uh saliva and uh, infused latex right. is the worst that worst thing you can do with a mouth call that's why i carry literally don't laugh but i literally carry like I don't know, Mike. Well, you haven't seen my tackle. I, ca I carry a tackle box, a crappy a crappy jig box yeah. in the woods, and I have about 40 mouth calls. And I'm constantly changing them because when that when they get saturated with saliva, they lose their tone. So yeah, and is your that's, 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 you know, having multiples is cool, too, because you sound like a different turkey. And uh, one more thing on, on that part, because I see people uh, – do it and i've had a lot of fun. so i soak my mouth calls in mouthwash well i just again that's where scott just told you dry latex is our friend but <laughs> i do use myself and we encourage when we tell other people like the listerine uh just a little listerine and thump it off and then either wash it on that's off it. but yeah. you know to uh, kill the any germs bacteria you know the things going in and out of your mouth and um, so, but, uh, we listen, but we don't soak our calls. That's just, that's just, to me, that's death on the death on a mouth call. All the, Alcohol I mean, it's not, yeah, yeah. it's not meant to be submerged like that for long periods of time. The alcohol will destroy the latex. If you want to dip it and dunk it and then rinse it and dry it and then put it away, pick it. And put it away. Anyways. It's good information. All right. So a couple more questions here. Let's keep the party going. Uh, one of them is in regards to a high in sky. This could probably speak to you right now just because you're in Florida. But when you guys have high humidity in the mornings, 
Um, whether, you know, I mean, a lot of our customers out there, they don't get the chance to hunt during the week. And so it's going to be on the weekend, hell or high water this past weekend, I was running bird dogs, doing some training with them and it rained all freaking day, but you know what? I have two days to go to do this. So you got to roll with it. Right. I mean, so in a high moisture situation, obviously diaphragm is great. Right. What was the question? I'm sorry. High humidity. What? What call do you use? What call oh, do you use? Oh, a mouth call. I, I, I always... I mean, I love running. I run my pot calls. Um, I, I love a Ninja anodized aluminum, one of my favorites. I love a Vision Crystal, and I love the Red Ninja. But they're they're a little more sensitive to moisture and humidity than a mouth call. So a mouth call is in moisture constantly in your mouth with saliva, obviously. So for me, um, my if it's a, if it's raining or misting or anything like that, I just go to the woods with a pack of mouth calls. Mike, you can touch on trying to yep. keep it dry and trying to run it dry and, you know, and, and run it in those. Well, bags. I mean, you don't have to have a, in, in <laughs> rain and, and high humidity, high humidity is one thing. Rain's a different thing. Uh, you know, when you're in rain, it doesn't matter what wood call you've got. You've got, you're subjecting wood, moisture is a wood's enemy. Uh, you know, these things are going to absorb moisture and take on different tone if you're not real careful. One cool tip that, that I do a lot is uh, like I like to run my box calls stuff and I'll take them and run the dehumidifying process in in the vehicle the window you know the defrost and then put that put the calls and sometimes my pack or my calls I run that um, as I'm driving to the turkey wood something, I'm running that dehumidification right there. I'm trying to pull moisture out of my calls. And when I get out of the woods, if I've been in moisture, I'm a lot of times putting my calls up on that dash and letting that uh, dehumidification of the defrost because it's, it's actually reducing moisture. And it's a neat little trick. You don't you just kind of don't want to get too hot and everything. And don't forget and leave them on the dash and get them burned up like sunlight. But uh, that and then in pot calls and stuff, um, I like to use a hot hand uh, in a in a pack or in there with my a little hot hand in that area and in those little decadent decadent packs, a little gel pack that stuff. That kind of stuff can help you. I don't like to see guys put their calls in Ziploc bags and Tupperware things that, that are sealed up because you're just sealing the death of the call because moisture stays in there the whole time. Uh, so that's one of those things I would I, I would highly recommend. Don't put your calls in nope. Ziploc bags and stuff like that and seal them up. And if you do, at least get them out and let them acclimate and let the, give the moisture a chance to get out of the call. But um, like I said, the dehumidifier on the, de the defrost part of the go going to the woods, a lot of times I put my calls up there and get them as dry as I can as I'm driving to my where I'm going. And when I get back, I use that as a, a time to dry the woods and stuff out. And then uh, uh, the little hand warmers, those things are very good at just uh, drawing moisture, removing moisture and keeping a little temperature, you know, warming it up a little bit. It's a great Find that tip that many people will actually know too, so. I didn't even know. Keep on going. Uh, what's your go-to surface? Slate, glass, aluminum, copper, ceramic. I'm. I, I guess I got in a time lapse right here, man. I'm seeing you on screen, but you locked up with me for a minute. I don't know what happened. I, if you. Me too. 
My apologies. So it's in regards to the uh, the surface of your of your pot call. Which is my favorite. What's your favorite? What's your go-to? Is it Slate? Is it Crystal? Yes, sir. Uh, crystal. I mean, if I got to pick one, probably Crystal. crystal. I mean, uh, I'm able to take a Slate, Crystal, aluminum, anything that I really want. You know, and, and of course, anything we're experimenting with and different variations of that, there's applications for all of them. I mean, but I have a Slate and a Crystal glass. Glass is a little deeper, old, nasty, raspy hen, usually. Uh, so there's there's reasoning for all of it. Uh, you know, I would bite my bottom lips because the old slate call, slate surface itself, that's the meat call of all meat calls. Our legend slates, we, we sell more legend slates, we, cherry classic crystals, legend slates, um, and then classic the rest plate. of it, you know, the, the what did you say, Scott? Cherry classic plate. It, yeah, the slates. The ch cherry seems to be a little higher pitch in mm -hmm. our line. Oh. And then we have so many other different de designs and things. It gives you a chance to sound like different turkey, but long answer of a short question there. I mean, Crystal um, is my, have to be my go-to. Uh, you know, aluminum's got its own dynamics too. I mean, I love aluminum, but uh, if I take one, I'm going to take the Crystal. I'm going to go, I used to be crystal. I'm going to go aluminum. I, I, I love crystal, but I am in love with that angel. That thing's bad to the bone. Moving on. <laughs> Very good. All right. So a handful of questions coming through um, are in regards to the purring pips. So of course, Scott, this is this direction towards you because high level what are, what are a handful of things that a person can do to learn how to purr on a diaphragm on a diaphragm well the first you have to be able to attain the tongue flutter or gargle um, I'm gonna teach real quick in a minute or less how to do it on with your tongue flutter like rolling your R's in Spanish okay now some people can gargle my uvula does not slow down enough. I can make sounds and it sounds like a cricket chirping because I cannot make my uvula roll. I guess it's too long. <laughs> so I'm going to teach the tongue method. And, th and then there's the old motorboat, which sounds nothing like a turkey. I wouldn't teach that to anybody because it just doesn't sound like a turkey. Hey, can y'all can y'all tell I've been turkey hunting? I, I mean, I'm over here yawning. I'm. Uh, he told me I'd go to sleep on the, on, on the deal here. I've been turkey hunting and getting up every morning and working in the shop and everything. I apologize to everybody, all this yawning I'm over here doing. I'm tired. <laughs> hey, for you up, up north, that means I'm tired. I'm tired. Oh, okay. Yep. So, anyways, moving on. Okay, so the way I teach it to people is, first off, get your – tongue to roll if you have the ability some people can't do it if you can't do it we can go to mike real quick after i'm done to show him how to do it on pot call this is that simple either you can gargle you can tongue roll or you can't do either and you have to use it do it on a pot call that's it's that simple or push or a little uh, push pin call that will work pretty good so you, you get your tongue rolling and then at the end of the day mike's probably going to get a purr pot if i know what he's doing at the end of the day get the tongue roll the r in spanish and then lay the call in your mouth and and blow it hard like you would envision a fighting purr almost. Just get the get the thing the motion to happen. Okay, 
that happens with one or two things. Let the call float very lightly on your tongue. Don't squeeze your, your tongue against the call and push it up in the, in the roof of your mouth. Let it almost float with just enough tongue pressure to allow your tongue to be relaxed enough to do the fluttering. From there, you're going to expel air and fill your cheeks as if you were to get home from work and go, and you fill your cheeks with air. And what that does is create back pressure, and that brings the high note into the purr. So you do that, tongue roll, and then you fill your cheeks with air as you're expelling the air. Close your mouth a little bit smaller so you can create the back pressure, so you're making the, the exit hole, if you will, the the uh, exhalation a little bit smaller and more pinpointed, and that what that does is allows your cheeks to inflate because it's building back pressure. From then, you can start doing fighting purrs just to get the sound right. Just think you're doing a fighting purr. See, I'm, my cheeks are full, full of air. Once you get the tongue roll and you get it, get it happening and it's in your, you're controlling it, then start lessening the air flow and then bringing it down to a contented purr. And at the end of the day, you learn how to do the fighting purr by doing it loud and just getting your tongue roll, and then I'll bring it down for you real quick and do the contented purr. And that's when you really learn to control how much air you put to the call to make sure that your tongue flutters and it still creates the sound. And the, the little bubble clucks were just saying the word wit. And there you have the, they have the contingent per and the fighting per actually. Really appreciate that. Thank you. All right, guys, just again, shields.com. Slash hunt series. Make sure you guys are getting registered on that. Staying up to up to tune. I mean, we've got a couple more nights coming up here. We got, you know, we're, we're rocking the first night here with uh, some heavy hitters. So appreciate everybody tuning in. Scott, did you have something else to add there? I'm sorry. Uh, well, Mike, did you just go get a purr pot by chance? Yeah. When, I when y'all said that, I, I, and I'll show you the difference in it. Uh, and you're giving me that because uh, I back to purring. I mean, and it's going to try to get this thing, these cameras and everything, but purring. Uh, on like a, on the glass call or a slate call, it's tell them how you're doing that. How much pressure and the angle of the striker, Mike? Very, very little pressure. We're you know, it's not in a fighting purr would be aggressive. That that can be loud, but this is just softly putting the and you're just pulling that down with your fingertips. Yeah, it's more of a you're holding the striker more like that and you're trying to just using this counterweight to let it bubble and uh, your pot call with the big surface like that it will make one make clucks and purrs and that's fine the deadliest tool that we build make and is in the turkey woods is a cluck and purr pot we make the striker a little bit longer it's got a little more um length to it but this thing right here it just, it, it's not made for anything but clucking purr and soft call tree call Tree call. That's the that right there is the deadliest call that that we make. I mean, we all love yelp, cluck, cut, yelp. Cut. You know, and yeah, call to a turkey like, you know, but when it gets down to finishing that stuff that Scott's doing, uh, and that, uh, 
that little the little wits and whines and little clucks and everything and then but the that little cluck and purr pod is made just to do tree calls soft calls soft little yelps and uh clucking and purring that's what it's made to do and i mean when guys have trouble doing clucking and purring on mouth calls and that's a big big thing with many many people i mean this thing right here we we just I, I mean, that's, that's the real deal. That's money. Yeah, you know, and, and for the audience out there, too, I mean, I'm sure, you know, at this time of year, especially uh, between Mike and Scott, they probably get asked 20 times a day on how to do a certain call. So we definitely appreciate you guys demonstrating all this. But again, and not trying to promote your guys' YouTube channels or, or websites or anything else. I mean, you guys are great partners, so we're happy to do so. But there's so many good tips and tricks out there right now in the world of, of digital media that a lot of this stuff can definitely be dig, dug up. You know, I mean, it's one of those deals that when I first started learning calling, there was nobody in my family that knew how to do it, you know? So you're kind of learning, you know, through the school of hard knocks with it. And then with the invention of the, the fantastic internet um, and people shooting themselves, not shooting themselves, sorry, taking video of themselves doing the calling. I mean, I cannot tell you how many different resources are out there right now. So let's keep on rock and rolling on this and let's kind of get to some of the meat potatoes, which is killing turkeys, right? And so a lot of questions between Mike and Scott are coming in right now for the decoys and decoy setups. Um, you know, it's one of those deals that could be for Chevy Dodge, could be a certain brand that people are for. It could be how many decoys you're setting up out there. What's the distance between you, the hunter, or your guest, or your guide, or if you just got a family member with you, or you're just rocking solo. I mean, if you're running gun and how many decoys you got. So a lot of questions coming in right now on the decoy. So let's first talk about what does your general your normal everyday turkey setup look like the number of toms jakes the hens does it matter the body positions of your hens which one are you going with scott you want to go first yeah it's a, it's a, uh i i don't run decoys sorry for that disclaimer that we didn't put that out there um very 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 rarely and in a very uh strange situation that I'm in a really open area where I cannot do what I do, what's called hiding the hen, which we can go into later if you guys like. But I grew up hunting the swamps of Florida on public land and I learned how to kill them without decoys. I experimented with decoys in the 90s. I had a lot of bad experiences with them and I went back away from them. Um, Mike doesn't run decoys a ton, but he, I think you've got a lot more to say about them than I would because I just don't. I mean, I can give you the base knowledge. You know, a jake and a hen's always great. Sometimes just a jake, it's situational. Are you hunting a dominant gobbler in a field that has uh, run jakes out all the, all the time? And you see him being the dominant bird, you go in there and put a half-shut jake in there, and you don't even put a hen in there, and then you go kill that gobbler. He'll probably come in and charge that decoy. It's it's kind of common sense, but, Mike, go go ahead and take that one and, uh, and run with the decoys. I mean, I grew up in Alabama where decoys were illegal for, I don't even remember. How, they ain't been legal that many years, so I, I, and I was just a traditionalist. I hunt the mountains and, and uh, just decoys has not been the the thing that we do here i mean it's they're legal now oh i just hit my button Did y'all see that that was better than six flags and i didn't even have to pay to get in uh the uh but decoys became prevalent to or became relevant to me um when we started going to states like that had open areas like texas uh Oklahoma, and where they were legal and they were different it gave me a different perspective because i'd never been a decoy user and then i learned real well proficiently uh i personally use dsd um 
the the tom the the jake uh, with a squatting hand i set the let's disclaimer i like that word you used there scott the one of the biggest things i that i think people need to think about decoys is don't put them too far and don't put them too close Putting them too close brings the turkey so close that you make it a dangerous. I mean, uh, uh, chances of missing him are great. Um, and then putting them too far. But, you, but, but using the decoys, you've got the opportunity to either range find when it gets daylight enough to know how. But, or, but the biggest thing is, is go from where you're going to be set up, whether it's in a blind or just against a tree or on the edge of a field, and walk out, you know, 25 good paces or something. So you know those decoys are set up at a good spot, a good distance that is safe and going to give you a pattern um, for your hunter to, to for the pattern to open up. That's, to me, that's one of the biggest keys because I've seen that really messed up when somebody just sticks the decoy down and all of a sudden you've got a turkey charging right in on it's too close it's, you know it's not good and then somebody get out there and get long-legged and put the, the you know the dad burn decoys is out you under a quarter of a mile and you think well wait a minute now he's yeah my turkey's out there but i, I well who put the decoys out but uh i i personally get that about 25 yard 30 you know and and i i, I place the squatting hen laying hen and I put the the on the ground, and I put the stake for my Jake decoy right in her wing. They, the way those decoy, I put it right beside, and so or I put the stake there, and I put her wing right there, and then I set the that Jake decoy up. And I generally generally face him the way I want the turkey to come, because that basically that the, the gobbler is going to come and come around and face him. And uh, so if I'm bow hunting, I want that turkey set up a little closer. But if I'm or forgot somebody's gun hunting i mean like i said we don't use decoys a whole lot uh, but sometimes i'll put that uh, uh either a feeding hen uh if we have the luxury of got some, a, a, a setup where we need or, uh, to show a lot more turkeys uh we do the alert hen and a feeding hen just to, and we put those about 10 15 yards and kind of stagger them away trying to present a situation that that looks real when a turkey sees it but uh uh i Generally, I hope that kind of kind of covered that. I, I, I again putting them too close and putting them too yep. far away. Got to be conscientious of walking your distance from where you're going to be and make sure you set the decoys where you want them. And at the end of the day, absolutely, you can't go wrong with a single hen. That's true. I, I mean, I agree with Scott. Wrong. Yeah, you'll never go wrong if you're questioning what you're doing. Oh, will the Jake spook him? Should I put a strutter? Is he the dominant bird? Is he not the dominant bird? At the end of the day, a hen will never do you wrong. Um, if you have any intel, any MRI that says that that bird might be the man, maybe use that half strut Jake or that quarter well, strut or something like I that. I agree too. I tell you though, we would seal the deal. Uh, I tell you though, going back to the decoys, where they're legal and everything, they are fun to use at, at certain times. I mean, like I said, me and Scott both, I think, growing up just kind of the old traditions and didn't hen. I mean, uh, decoys wasn't the, wasn't the thing, but a big key and i could do a whole book and a whole podcast thing on kids because i my kids have gone turkey hunting and so i've got you know my children and, and, and we're taking them hunting and scott's got a son same age as one of my sons and stuff but uh that was the decoys was a game changer there and we have seen decoys run turkeys off we all have but the decoy situation being able to concentrate especially for the younger hunter it made we know that the turkey is coming to that spot and we take all that 
having to think and get set up for the kid. We can get his X blind or his, you know, his, his bracing and everything and get them all set up because we know that their shot should come here. They can see everything happening if the turkey's gobbling and coming and interacting. But we know when the business is going to be done, it's going to be right there. And we just teach them, um, you know, and, and actually when we're practicing teaching our kids how to hunt, I mean, we, we practice letting the kids aim. With not without a loaded gun, but aim with their dots and stuff, and look at the decoys, and that's what we do. As it's getting light enough to hunt, and to see we got the decoys out there, we have the kids concentrate on putting the dot on the throat of the turkey, just just to make sure they're going through the motions. So decoys and kids, big to me, that's that's a definite definite game changer to help get the kids, and and it concentrates the shot and and helps bring them in. That's a great response. And that, that actually answered a lot of the questions that are coming in here as well. Um, quick question, and I think I know the answer, but how many times do you guys spend in, I'm sure it's situational based, but do you spend in a ground blind? You know, I know for the youth hunters, it's it's fantastic, especially for the younger, younger, you know, kids that are getting involved with it. Um, Scott, it looks like you don't spend much time in one. Never, unless it's rain or Mike, snow. Mike, uh, we yeah. did with the kid, again, ground blind something I'd never – I mean, I'm from Alabama, man. I'm a hill, hill mountain man from Alabama. I mean, I hunt the hills and stuff, and I ain't toting no blind up and down in mountains. And that's just never been something that that was in. But I learned, and it shows the ability to learn. Blunt ground blinds are definitely an effective tool, legal. I think it helps with the children. If the weather's bad um, or if you got any kind of reasoning just to – to, to use a ground blind, there's no absolutely no reason not to. But I mean, fidgety yes, hunters. That's, yeah, that's... and you know, sometimes it'll let it, it takes away the it lets you relax and it just. But I mean, as far as do I want to be you know, in a blind? No, I don't. But I mean, it, would I hunt in a heartbeat? If a guy said, "Hey, I got a ground blind. I want you to come hunt with me." Then let's go hunt there. But big thing there is back to kids and back with it like the decoys it takes lets the kids wiggle around you ain't always telling them stop be quiet be still that's going to take the thing away from them you know that you want them to have fun so let them eat your snacks and everything and you do the work and you know let them hear and make it fun for them but i mean the blinds would be uh they're definitely a tool they're a tool i mean use use properly there too and at the end of the day, yes, though, the end of the day, those same kids have to be transitioned into learning how to be still and be patient and sit in the woods. And Jake, they will. My, my son, Jake Ellis, has never killed a turkey in the ground blind. He's killed them at the base of trees, maybe some palmettes in front or some stuff, some brush or stuff. What I did when my son was little was we didn't sit longer than about 30 minutes unless there was a bird goblin. We were actively engaging a bird. He was coming in and we were doing our thing. We'd sit there for 30, 45 minutes and nothing's going on. I'd go, let's go, let's, let's go take a walk, buddy. And I'd hand him a box call, and he'd run a box call. And I'd say, well, look at those squirrels over there. Look at that fox squirrel. Look at those hogs or those deer. And engage him in it and give him a call so he could have fun with it. Teach him a few strokes on a box call. Anybody can do it and not run a turkey off. And and I, I taught him to be still when he needed to be still, but I didn't do it for three or four hours at a time. I did it in very short bursts, and as he got older and older and older, now – at 14, almost 15, he'll sit in a deer stand all day long. He will sit all day long. And so I'm not saying there's anything wrong with them, guys and gals that are listening right now. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with them, but just make sure that at some point, teach them how to hunt. Teach them, teach them how to be still. Teach them patience. Teach them how 
woodsmanship. And, and, woodsmanship. and I think a, a blind, a brown blind, a pop-up blind negates all woodsmanship whatsoever. Does it kill turkeys? Absolutely. Is it a great tool? Absolutely. But at the end of the day, you have to, you, there's the gray area that you have to transition kids and adults out of that or not. And they can sit in that the rest of their lives and kill turkeys. And that's fine too. But if you want to, I guess the, the hunter in me comes out and says, I, I want to teach somebody to be patient, be still, be methodical, learn the language of the wild turkey, not rely on any one thing to be great at hunting. I want them to have a bunch of tools in their little tool bag to be successful turkey hunters and don't lean on one thing and have it a crush. So they're, they're, they're great for, for different applications. As Mike said, I've been in them in weather and snow and sleet and rain. And I've been them now that I've got it for two weeks, I've been in a few of them with some, with some clients because the guys just weren't good at sitting still. So there's a, there's a place for them in every application, but at the end of the day, teach people how to hunt and teach them the, uh, I don't want to say the traditionalist. I'm not going to be the purest traditionalist guy, but just teach them how to be a woodsman in the woods. There you go. Yep. Yep. All right. Before, uh, looks like we're, we're coming up into about eight minutes or so before we got to stop and announce the big winner for tonight in the prize package, which Brownie shotgun decoys calls. I mean, the Woodhaven stuff, we got some bale camo in our uh, SMU camo patterns. We're excited to give that away as well, but, you know, one one thing that we saw, and you know, Mike Mike Anderson and I, we did a podcast a couple weeks back with uh, another one of our store associates, and um, fantastic caller, uh, we're winning caller as well. But we talked about what happens when you got a, a tom that just will not commit. You know, whether he's not willing to commit that last thirty yards, forty yards. I mean, you know, with the invention, I shouldn't even say the invention, but with the popularity of TSS shot that's been out there for the last couple of years, you know, that's been kind of a game changer. We've had questions come out there with the four ten and. You know, we're not necessarily talking about what's good enough or what's not, but what can we do to close that distance from that time that's just not willing to either leave a leave a hand or b just something's not right. And with you guys, I mean, with not being able to use decoys, you guys gotta have a lot of tips and tricks on this one. Yeah, uh, Mike, go ahead. I mean, I've got. <laughs> I mean, I got some good. I got some dizzies. I've used. Well, I mean, the, the, if, if you buy it, this again, this is a this is a daggum Pandora's box of stuff this that can be talked about. Yeah, I mean, and we got to keep this. We got to keep this where we can move on and make sure. We. We. Patience. Ramble. I mean, yeah, I'm not gonna ramble too much myself. I'm gonna try yeah, to get it and get we, and move on. Clucking, purring, scratching yeah. in the leaves. Yeah. If you have the opportunity to have somebody with you, that's, that changes the game. Somebody back. behind you that can move. We call it the mobile man. You know, that's terms we use, mobile man. I'm being the mobile man on the back. If I can get and I can see what's going on with the turkey or, or can hear what's going on with the turkey and keep from him, from him being able to see me and be able to call behind who I've got set up hunting or if i got somebody behind me, and otherwise clucking and purring, Patience, patience, patience. P A T I N C and the E is silent. That's been my saying for years. You know, um, kills turkeys, uh, scratching in the leaves. Little, but if a turkey don't want to come over, he ain't coming. I mean, that's just it. Turkeys are gonna be turkeys. That's gonna be my saying of saying. I'm gonna die saying it. Turkeys are gonna be turkeys. I mean, the tip to try to get one to break, man. If, if anybody knew that, they'd be a nuclear scientist and they'd be well worth it. You know, well, well. Uh, wealthy but uh i mean clucking and purring raking in the leaves somebody being able to be behind you further back i mean if the turkey can see you you can't do anything but right. if you if a turkey's out on terrain a lot of times i'll go back and call 
Mm-hmm. And then, you know, sometimes I'll call coming to him, but most of the time I call away and let him think that, that, and I get myself back close to him. If he's not, like I said, if he's inside, I can't do nothing but sit there and cluck and purr and try to convince him. But, um, you know, those are two, those are the main things that I, that you just have to do. I mean, sometimes you're the bug issue. Well, I'll elaborate on that a little further. Silence, shut up, quit calling. Go quiet for 20, 30 minutes. Play cat and mouse. Kills them a lot. It's hard to do. We want to hear him gobble, right? That's why we're there. That's half the, the allure to turkey hunting in the spring is hearing him gobble. Shut up. Quit calling for 30 minutes. Next, I've done it three times this week in, uh, or the last 10 days in turkey camp, fighting purrs. Not only fighting purrs, learning how to whine, which is another, it's a higher level call thing. But you, what I taught you earlier on the mouth call and what Mike showed you on a pot call, you can create fighting purrs. Now, if you have a buddy and you're using a pot call, have your buddy take his hat off or do what I do. I, I cut wings off of turkeys when I kill them, and I dry them, and I carry two two wings. That's for fighting purrs and fly down cackles and scratching in the in the um, leaves, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But I've done it three times and broke turkeys that were leaving and came charging in uh, with the fighting purrs and using the wings, slapping the wings together and, and, and creating the wing beaks, just like when you do a fly down and you – pop your hand or pop your wing on your arm to create that sound that's not necessarily a vocalization. It's a turkey sound, but not a vocalization. Raking in the leaves, as Mike said. Fly down cackles, fighting purrs. Um, uh, Let me throw one more in there, Jake. I mean, uh, yeah, you said Jake. I got Jake on the I'm sitting here thinking. I'm thinking about holding your son when he's little. When you start talking about Jake, I start thinking, Jake, yep. So I had the Jake in my mind about Jake. You know, oh, yeah, yeah. And I, I, think I, I haven't got yep. goblin. Goblin, Jake. Yeah, yep. goblin, but Jake, yep, that, oh, oh, oh. I mean, oh, this, okay. that, that's challenging. He's like, man, I ain't, they shouldn't be a boy over doing a man's job. I need to get over, let me get over and take care, you know, get out of here. He goes, if he can't see, I mean, having that, a lot of times, you know, I have a mouth call or something in, and, uh, and, and, and would you be, be prepared to do it and do the little, let him think, hey, again, I'm being soft, and, and, and but that right behind that, like I'm answering, right? Yeah, I mean, yeah. making that gobbler challenging his manhood is a big, yep. big thing. That's right. And gobbling, you can gobble on two calls, gobble shaker. I think gobbling is definitely one of the very last, last, last resorts to try because. Again, unless he's the dominant bird, you're going to run him off. He's going to walk off. I, I did that as well. I had one hung up on a fence at 70 yards. Did the fighting purrs. He started doing, he never came out of strut, but he started doing the, um, turning his back to you and looking back going, um, I don't know. So he started drifting after the fighting purrs with the wings, and then I gobbled at him, and then he completely shut down and quit gobbling. So he had obviously had his butt whooped. So when you use these things that are out of the box, Wait to the very, 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 very last resort. Don't do this stuff right off the bat. Try to work him. Go silent. Cluck and purr. You know, do the do the basic stuff that you're still recreating hen stuff. And then from there, if he doesn't come in or he starts walking off, try something. It's not going to hurt anything. Just don't don't bump the bird. Obviously, don't booger him. But uh, you got to try something. But those are the last resort stuff because if he is not the dominant dude, he's going to walk off. He's going to be scared. He's had his butt whooped. That's that's what happened. So. Very good. So what do you guys do when you got a hand up gobbler? Go shoot hands. This might be the last question. Uh, um, I, I, I love this. I have a whole dissertation on this, so I'm just going to steal this one away real quick. You go, buddy. Um, when I know he's got hands, 
I try to get the hens to talk to me. And the key to this whole thing, I'll try not to get long-winded here, never offend the hens because there's one of two types of personalities of that boss hen that's leading that whole flock around. She's either passive and coy and shy and don't want nothing to do with no outco- no outsider, or she might be the dominant, confrontational, aggressive hen. But you don't know that right off the bat. Generally, you won't know unless she starts cutting at you and carrying on and getting aggravated with you. You won't know right off the bat that which personality trait she is. So I love to plane up and even kiki to hens and start trying to get the hens to talk to me and be civil. Now, if that if that hen starts getting on top of you and getting nasty with you and starts coming and closing the distance and she's cutting and she's excited yelping and she's pissed, then you can step your game up, but only do it if she does it. And at the end of the day, if you don't offend either one of them, but you can communicate with them, you have a better chance of getting the whole flock to come to you, period. So start civil. Only raise your level of calling and excitement and, ag- and uh, aggressiveness if she does. Don't just do... Now, if the whole flock is leaving and all you've done is playing Yelp and you're trying not to be offensive, then try to fire her up, cut at her, get her aggravated. But only do that as a last resort and only do that when you've identified the fact that they're leaving and they're not going to be, they're not, they're, you're being civil and they're not cl- trying to come up and be social. Turkeys are just sociable. They're gregarious by nature. Sometimes they like to get aggravated at things and that's when you step your calling up. But only do it, only do it, dictate, dictate what she does and you'll probably be safe and just be civil and only raise it up unless she raises her level of aggravation and her aggressive calling. I agree 100% with everything Scott just said. And then I'll give you two analogies for you to either on hand up gobblers, you're either going to be the engine or the caboose. And that's my, that's what I call my technique. You're either going to try to find out. And if you've got a good idea in where the hands are taking him, be the engine and get in front and try to, just kind of yeah, try to be in their, in their way and try to yep. soft call and then see if you can do what just exactly what Scott just said. Being the caboose technique I use is I let them go and drift away and try to come right back in behind where I know they've all my, my process there is I know he's already been there. If I can see him or, or hear and I know he's already been there and he's drifting away, go right back in and get as tight to him as I can from his caboose side from the back and try to say, well, you know, and try to salt call and say, well, wait a minute, you left me. And see, if you, a lot of times I've had that look, him turn around and comes and just like, wait a minute, I, I, well, he's still one back here that I forgot. So the the engine of the caboose technique, you're trying to run, get ahead and try to let him come to you or either be the caboose, go where he's done being because he feels comfortable where he's done. He's just left and he's following hands. And you come in there and get as tight to him as you can and, and call and see if you can get him to come back. great answer you know this is for the for the customers out there everybody tuning in i mean one thing that we've got going here and i collectively i don't know how many years of uh, experience you guys both bring the table not only from the calling but from the background but from the the, the learning the trial fail and adjusting you know it's one of those deals that you know you just don't walk in and, and get successful i mean you gotta, gotta get some bumps and bruises on it and some frustration so uh, guys, appreciate it. We're going to go ahead and announce the winner tonight. Again, the winner is going to be receiving nearly $3,000 for the prizes tonight. Uh, we've got a full bale camo set up with our SMU camo. We've got a Browning shotgun, AVNX decoys, and a pile of turkey calls from, from Mike himself. We might even autograph a couple. Who knows? You know, maybe Scott will send us one of your used diaphragm calls in that we put in a frame and put on the wall of the office here. It's a trophy having you guys on. Tell you what, again, I, I really appreciate you guys taking time. I know you guys are in the in the battle right now, the turkey season down south. We're turning up right now, coming up. 
in a couple of weeks here, we're going to be opening up in the north. Archer seasons across the country have been opening up as well. But uh, without further ado, Mike S. from Detroit Lakes, Minnesota, you are the winner of tonight's grand prize. Uh, congratulations. I'm jealous that you get all this fun stuff. Uh, again, we want to thank everybody for tuning in tonight for the Virtual Hunting Series. Gentlemen, Mike and Scott, thanks again for joining. I know it's thank you. getting close to what? We appreciate o'clock, it. Down there. Honored to have been here. Yep, and thank you, Browning. Thank you, everybody, all the partners, A, B, and X, Mike, yourself, and Scott, again, for you guys' time and donating the products, the prizes. Uh, tomorrow night, we've got uh, Mr. Michael Waddell joining us from Bone Collector. Excited to have him on. And make sure you guys are going to Shields Outdoors on Facebook and Instagram to follow, and make sure you guys are getting registered at Virtual Hunt Series. So thanks again, everyone, for tuning in. Good luck hunting. All the questions that were not answered, we're going to get to those. Don't worry. And uh, we'll see you tomorrow night. Thanks for having us, Ben. Absolutely. Thank you. You just heard our night one session of the Shields Virtual Hunt Series, talking turkey with Scott Ellis and Mike Pentecost. We want to thank those guys for joining us and giving all kinds of great information and answering all the questions the live viewers had. What's really cool about this format is that you have the ability to tune in and ask questions and get answers in real time to prepare yourself for the season. If you like that virtual format and are interested in fishing, we've got an upcoming virtual fishing series on April 13th through the 15th where we're going to be talking bass fishing, fly fishing, and walleye fishing. We're going to have tons of great information, so make sure to sign up for that at shields.com forward slash fish series. And with that, we want to thank you all for listening and see you next time. Thank you for listening to the Shields Outdoors podcast. Stay tuned for future segments and visit our social media pages, Shields Outdoors on Facebook and Instagram for daily updates.